This episode is brought to you by AREP, American Real Estate Partners. On a weekday morning on Broadway, just north of Times Square, it seems just mainly tourists are wandering the sidewalk. This strip of the city is like a multi-block thoroughfare between the hub of the theatre district and Central Park, with landmarks like the Ed Sullivan Theatre and Magnolia Bakery along the way. There are office buildings too, like 1740 Broadway, an Art Deco office property that has made headlines in the last few weeks because its owner Blackstone handed back the keys to the lender. The company said it's just a one-off. The building has a number of lease deals expiring and representatives said it's not indicative of the broader Blackstone view of the city. But it certainly raised a few eyebrows and it certainly raised a few questions once again about the future of older buildings in places like New York City as more renovated space hits the market. I'm Miriam Hall, and on this episode of BizNow Reports, we're talking about the office market in the city, how lenders are viewing office assets, particularly in light of some of the stories like that of 1740 Broadway and the most recent leasing figures that point to a stubbornly high availability rate in Manhattan. We'll be taking the temperature of that sector of the market with some brokers in just a moment. First though, Michael Gigliotti. He's the co-head of Capital Markets at JLL. This utilization of office thing has really delayed the interest of lenders to lend on office particularly in the major CBDs. And it's not a surprise that most of those lenders even still aren't in the office. So how can they go to their investment committee and say, hey, let's lend on this office deal. I've got high conviction for it when they're doing it over Zoom and they haven't seen the inside of an office in over two years, right? That's a very difficult thing. Office occupancy is still only at about 40% nationally, even as people return to travel and entertainment with far more gusto. So while lenders have been a little nervous about office, Michael says it does come down to the kind of office asset that you're talking about. There's a couple things going on, and, and it has to do with investors too, right? Owners. Owners are a little bit fed up with the lack of yield in multifamily and industrial. And there's certainly people looking at office and retail more than they were a year ago. But it's the have and have nots, right? If you've got fully leased properties and you could get some yield out of them in office, those are very attractive to people, especially class A or newer. And it's very attractive to lenders. We did quite a few large office deals in New York City last year. Uh, that were fully leased. When it came down to someone wanting to either buy or lend on a B office building, Side Street, New York City, it went down to 60% leased. We are getting very, very little interest on the lending side. The, the thought of tenants flowing back into you know, not modern office space is a foreign concept to people still. And you're seeing that in the stacks. If you're going to go back to the office, you want this flashy new office space. You want it to be healthy environment. And historically, those had a lot of you know vacancies in them because they were brand new. They're waiting for those high rents and they don't fill up as fast. And those B office buildings were steady eddy and you know they're always full and they're cheap options and people were always there. 
that's not happening. So that's why you mentioned rental rates are up, but vacancy rates are up. That doesn't usually happen. The reason it's happening is because everyone's moving into the big, expensive, brand new buildings. And so that's while that stat is out there, you're not going to get many lenders saying I'm bullish on B New York City office. When you say you've done deals in the last year, give me an example of a deal that you got done that kind of speaks to that environment. So we worked on a, a B office building. It was in Midtown on a side street. It was in between 5th and 6th Avenue on the 30s. Um, it was a deal that was fully leased before the pandemic, and they lost about 40% of their tenants during the pandemic. They're just gone. They left, obviously, because the city shut down, and then they never came back, right? So small tenants. These, this is a small tenant building, 2,000-square-foot tenants, 5,000-square-foot tenants, small groups that they can just, what are you going to do? They're going to give up their lease obligation, and there's nothing you could chase. It's, that's the nature of that small tenant side street building. So in order to get that deal done, we went to about 100 different lending sources. We received you know, two credible bids, and we did it with one lender, obviously. And it required a pay down of the prior loan from $37 million to $30 million. So $7 million of equity had to go into the deal in addition to what they have to do to spend to lease it back up to full occupancy. Right. So what you end up seeing here on these B office buildings is that was a deal that someone bought before the pandemic, spent TIs and leasing commissions to get it fully leased. It went back to not fully leased again and they have to respend it and reinvest. So what you're having here is basis creep. You're having owners basis go higher when the valuation of the building once they get it back, is lower than it would have been pre-pandemic. And it's lower for a couple reasons. It's lower because investor demand for that space or that property is lower. But also, look at what's happening with the interest rates, right? The days of, you know, super low cap rates because of upside and being able to finance it really cheaply are temporarily over. You know, I don't know if they're over forever. But you're spending more money than you thought to stabilize a property at a value that's lower than you thought it was going to be. So I don't, I don't know the circumstances around the Blackstone deal, but that little sentence that I just said probably says it all. You have to spend more money than you thought to achieve a value that's less than you thought. That's not a great investment plan, right? And I hope that switches and there's some reasons to think it will, such as, all these brand new class A buildings are filling up and they're very, very high rents. And when people come back to the office, they like to, you know, service oriented, smaller groups like to be near those tenants and pay much, much less. Well, their only home for them are these B buildings. That's the silver lining for the B office building. It's just not there yet. Let's talk a little bit about the Blackstone deal because I know you weren't on the deal, but let's you know speculate based on the facts that we know. I mean, this is a rare. That's why it got so much attention because, like, wow, Blackstone's handing something back. Sure, that's a. It's a perfect headline for you guys, right? <laughs> it really is, and um, it's the same concept I was just talking about. They obviously did the math where they had to spend a lot of money in improvements to the building, in TIs and leasing commissions to get. Tenants in the, that property that aren't going to pay that much money, you have to give them a lot of free rent, 
and the value after you spend all that money and fill the property back up and put so much work into it probably didn't pay any return on that investment, right? And so you, there's no point in putting new money in to not earn a return. And that's what these properties are facing right now that have to be retenanted, not to mention that you have some relatively unknown circumstances coming up with this local law 97 and the ESG law. We ran a story the other day that looked at these the, the, the few examples. So it's a similar things, a few similar things have happened in Chicago. And it's kind of like these cold weather, high density, high expensive office environments. And someone said, seems like they're the new retail. Do you think that that's, would you describe it as that? Do you think? Or is it, is, is that an overdramatization? I think it's an overdramatization. And, you know, everyone's quick to forget that, you know, office is, I believe, two times larger than the next product type, just as in real estate industry. This is the majority of the real estate world. It cannot be ignored forever, right? And I, I looked at some stats you know, of, of us during the pandemic. For a brief time, our financings, um, it went down to 5% of our total financings in, in third quarter of 2020 were office financings. Historically, that was about a third of our business. And we're up to, in 2022, the first three months, it's 25% of our business again. So it's not quite back to a third, but it is coming back, our financing business, and the sales business will have to come back and people will be more interested. All that you hear about how many billions and billions of dollars people like our friends at Blackstone and Starwood and all these people have raised, they can't invest it all in multifamily and industrial. They can't invest it all in the new cool niche property types like self-storage and single family rentals and all the data center cool stuff that they're trying to do. Those businesses, those economies, those real estate economies of those property types are minuscule compared to office. And when people want to get their dry powder out into real estate, especially, you know, Foreign sovereign wealth funds are completely underallocated to real estate. Even our pension funds here in, in the U.S. are still underallocated to real estate. The amount of money that's raised, there's more dry powder than ever. It can't get invested and people can't get their funds to where they want to be without going into office at some point. It would be an impossibility. So I think that's encouraging for the sector. We do see people swinging back into retail as well. I think one of the hottest things right now is um, not grocery anchored retail, which is the stalwart of retail, but um, unanchored, you know, internet proof retail. So the thing where people get off the train and stop at the drugstore, get their haircut and get their, you know, Starbucks, you can't get those things on the internet. And those are really, you know, attractive investment opportunities for people right now. So they're legging back in. It's getting closer to office, Miriam, right? I mean, I just they're going to do everything they can to fill up their buckets in non-office, and then they're going to run out of things to do. According to Michael, right now, lenders are sooner doing deals on new office construction than Class B properties. But there's only so many flashy Class A new construction around. And eventually, he expects lenders who may have been avoiding office will start looking at the sector again simply because they have to. 
the liquidity in the marketplace is encouraging as well. Eventually, especially these bridge lenders that have raised billions and billions of dollars, they can't get enough multifamily bridge opportunities and industrial bridge opportunities, and they can't get much yield there. The natural next place for them to go are office repositioning opportunities, whether that be repurposing or just retenanting. That is their business. That's been the core of their business and their biggest business for a long time. And they're not doing it as much as they need to do it going forward. They just need the conviction that their exit is going to be safe. And right now, that's where they're struggling. And their investment committee is not there yet. So it's, a, it's really a matter of supply and demand almost. There's just not enough deals in the multifamily space that they're going to have to, these bridge lenders are going to have to look at these repositions eventually. They're going to have to deploy their capital. You know, um, we actually have seen it go back into the hotel space a little bit faster, uh, especially, you know, resort hotels, which brings me full circle back to, okay, people are flying and going to these resorts and staying with a million people at the pool, but they're not going to their office buildings yet. It's a little bit backwards. It's going to catch back up, is my opinion. Um, I think there's going to be excellent opportunities for investment, in my opinion, because of the yields that will be there for people. Office is not dead. I'd love to find a way to make it less expensive and less capital intensive for owners to retenant properties. Um, It'd be nice to see lease terms go longer because that would help with that, which has been showing up. Um, the last quarter was the first time nationally that over half leases done in the country were over 10 years. So first quarter in the pandemic that that happened, that's a great thing. When leases are long, it means you're not spending money on TIs and lease commissions every five years, four years, right? Um, that helps owners. It um, saves money. It keeps those basis low and uh, attracts more lenders. So Those are the recipes to getting people back into the space. Headquartered in the greater Washington metropolitan area, American Real Estate Partners is an institutional fund manager and operating partner focused on data center, office, and residential mixed-use development and repositioning throughout the East Coast. Committed to building workplaces of the highest quality, from architecture to amenities to property management and wellness, AREP creates places where people want to be and can perform at their best. AREP, beyond the expected. Visit AREP at AmericanREPartners.com for availabilities. The first quarter office leasing figures in New York showed how much leasing is picking up since the worst of the pandemic, but there are still some complexities that are vexing the market. Since this time last year, office leasing in Manhattan is up nearly 100%, according to CVRE, and rents are at an average of 77.50 per square foot. But the availability rate in Manhattan is still almost 20%, and that could go on for years, as there's about 25 million square feet of office construction and major renovations that are expected to be delivered in the next two years. So for owners of Class B and C buildings, it's more challenging to lock in tenants. I asked CBRE Executive Vice President Lauren Crowley-Cornett what advice she would give those kinds of owners. So I think they have to price it appropriately and certainly be maybe a little bit more on the on the aggressive side for some of those first mover tenants, right? Because, I mean, you, you're trying to create a community within a building, so having some of those tenants that will maybe draw some others is always a great way to begin. 
thinking through whatever they can do to those buildings to make them a little different, a little bit special, a little bit maybe more appealing. You know, the amenity centers, the efforts towards green energy and wellness and so on are, I think, are all things that I would imagine most landlords are super focused on. I have to say I am more of a tenant rep broker myself. Um, but I think those are the things that I would probably start with. And then an aggressive marketing campaign. You got to have the right people who are going to be there kind of getting your building in front of as many tenants as possible. When you're taking a tenant around, what gets them over the line? What makes them say, oh, okay, I didn't expect it to be like this, or this seems cool, even though it's not Hudson Yards or whatever? I think sometimes it's just about getting tenants to walk you in the, in the door, right? Sometimes, whether it's a kind of a, at the most macro level, a submarket at kind of bringing it further down a certain neighborhood, bringing it further down a certain building, Sometimes tenants have a preconceived notion of what they think they want or where they think they want to be, and getting them to think outside of that box can be incredibly valuable. I'm going to take you back for a second, but going back to kind of the last recession when we were really seeing downtown sort of blossom, there were tenants who did not want to look down there and said, we, I don't think we've been south of 42nd Street in a decade. And then, you know, you get them down there and they're like, wow, there is so much more energy here than we thought. There is so much more development here. You know, the community of tenants here is very, very different than what we had in our heads when you really sort of look at who's here. And hey, by the way, it's super easy to get here. All up in the first quarter of this year in Manhattan, leasing activity hit nearly 5.7 million square feet. That's 9% behind the five-year quarterly average, according to CBRE. But Lauren says it's still considered a big draw to have an office in the city. You know, I always think of New York as modern day Rome, right? Who doesn't want to be here? And I think as you look at the vibrancy of the city, and yes, there are all sorts of issues and all sorts of problems that, you know, certainly need to be addressed over time. I do think that the creative nexus that is here will continue to grow and thrive. The biggest leases of the last quarter were high profile, big name deals like IBM's anchor lease at One Madison. But according to Alice Fair, who's a first vice president at CBRE, a big part of the market are leases with companies that are brand new. We're seeing a lot of out-of-market firms often find its way into the Manhattan market, you know, recently been funded and really looking to either establish a Manhattan office or expand in the Manhattan office. And we represent tenants not only here in New York, but um, nationwide. And I think it's often interesting to hear all those different markets, especially those on the West Coast, that are not necessarily seeing that same trend. So these are companies that didn't exist before the pandemic in some cases. Yeah, exactly. What sorts of um, demands do they have? Is it that they want well located and particularly when they're new and they're they're kind of I guess a young firm what sorts of like office demands do they have? Not only is it amenities but also location I think there's another emphasis on the buildings themselves and what that means to other peers in their industry so We're working with companies that are trying to attract highly competitive personnel and 
really in order to do that they're looking at their real estate strategies to try and help win over some of those people. Are they willing to pay rent that landlords would consider healthy? You used to be able to kind of look at a company, speak to the CFO, speak to the real estate team, and you could kind of get a really good grasp for their budget. Nowadays, it's so much harder to pinpoint the budget based on those conversations. You really have to present every option in the spectrum of the market. There are companies that typically, you know, you could say fashion companies, for example, typically very, very price conscious that are now changing their stance on that and really paying top dollar for the most quality spaces. I have seen so many more companies that used to be traditionally just, you know, focused on flexible office space where they can seamlessly um, expand and kind of take the capex mitigation route and just get into space as soon as possible be so much more thoughtful about their real estate that's alice fair she's a cbre office broker before that lauren crowley cornett also of cbre earlier in the show we heard from michael gigliotti i'm miriam hall thanks for listening